Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book writer and documentary film producer Mike Phillips about what comics he would take into a nuclear fallout apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene. The first I Love Comics Digital Con 2021 will be taking place on Saturday the 13th and Sunday 14th of February from 8am till 6pm on the Comic Scene community facebook group the link of which is available in the show notes of course Uh, the event is completely free and comic fans will have the opportunity to give their views on the top 40 share what they are reading uh, recommend comic titles and chat with other comic fans as well on a side note if you're a creator yourself and would like to do a talk or have a q a room for for the i love comics digital con 2021 please email comicsceneuk at gmail.com for more details now without further ado on with the show hello mike phillips how's it going it's going great thanks so much for having me ah it's an absolute pleasure man and um great great to have you on the show um now for, for for anybody that hasn't come across you just yet what do you do in the world of comics for the past almost 20 years, uh, uh, a good friend of mine named Julian Darius and I have been building a, um, uh, a kind of a comics appreciation website called Sequart, uh, where we have published uh, about 40 nonfiction books and seven documentaries about the world of comics. Um, some of the more popular things you may have heard of would be Grant Morrison, Talking with Gods. It's a documentary. Uh, she Makes Comics, documentary. Uh, Neil Gaiman, um, oh my gosh, Neil Gaiman dreamed dangerously, a documentary. Some of the books would be Grant Morris in the early years, uh, the British invasion, um, <laughs> a couple other ones like about green arrow or daredevil. Uh, we've covered the filth and the invisibles. Uh, we've just done a bunch in the nonfiction realm. So I think that's how people might know of me or Sequart. As far as making comics, that's relatively new. I made a comic series called Necropolitan, and I'm about to kickstart a new series called The Tessellation. Fantastic. And you're responsible for the Image Revolution documentary as well, aren't you? Yes, sir. Yeah, which is fantastic. It's a great doc. I highly recommend it to to everybody and and the others as well, of course. Um, And uh, yeah, but before we kind of get into, into your most current Kickstarter, um, how did all of that come about? Luck. Uh, um, <laughs> there you go. I was, the best things in life. <laughs> if I was to say that I was going to make some career out of, um, uh, making a website that would, um, try to spotlight Hollywood actors and the Hollywood scene, I'm sure I would have been getting no, no, no uh, at every door I tried to enter or every Mm. person I asked or every favor I tried to call in. But in the world of comics, I think for a long time, aside from, you know, zines and like the couple popular magazines from the 90s, like Wizard, um, I think there hasn't been a whole lot of people coming up to your 
comic book stars and saying, hey, I want to make a movie about you or I'd mm. love to interview you for this book I'm writing about your early career. When a lot of creators heard that, their kind of eyebrows go up and go, well, sure, yeah, let's go. <laughs> so it, I guess it all started back when I was working with Julian. He had an old website called the Continuity Pages, and that what sucked me in on that one was he was trying to create a database of reading order per character chronologically. So like Clark Kent, he was creating like a – a reading order based on the chronological life of Clark. So I guess you, instead of reading all of action comics, you know, from one to a thousand, it would be action comics. I don't know. Let's just say his earliest origin story is this. So you start here and the very next quote unquote uh, issue time wise would be, you know, uh, man of steel 19. And then it would be, uh, adventures of Superman 47. Like he was trying to create this thing that doesn't really, I guess, exist. And it might've just been in his own mind. Here's how I think Clark's life progressed from day to day. And once I saw this list, I'm like, this guy's nuts in my, (laughs) he's my kind of nuts. I'm reading now. Uh, He's showing me how to read, you know, all sorts of characters like Barry Allen's life or, you know, um, here's the per- here's the perfect reading order for, I don't know, Swamp Thing. I'm just kind of talking out of my butt right now. But the idea was just like there. And for a continuity freak like me, I'm like, oh, this guy, this is my kind of guy. So I contacted him. Uh, this is like 03. And I said, I want to help. I'm, you know, I don't know a whole lot. I love comics. But if there's anything I can do, like just for data entry. And he goes, okay, sure. Why don't you? Um, find like the anchor for issues one through 10 of the Sandman for me. And, you know, mm. data back then wasn't really readily available. Yeah. So I'm going into my trades and I'm looking up names and I'm just emailing him about inkers and colorists and letterers of just certain vertigo things. Cause he was trying to build a vertigo reading list and we just became friends. Uh, he was living in Hawaii. I was living in Jersey, New Jersey. And, um, we just became friends. And then Batman Begins came out. And at this point, we had kind of shifted into Sequart, which is the newer version of his comic appreciation foray into comics appreciation. And um, he started writing a lot of articles about Batman Begins because he loved the movie. And he wanted to kind of create a series of articles that talked about each scene and the comics that the scenes are derived from. And he had written so many words. He's like, you know, there's this website called Lulu.com. If I upload all of these, if I, you know, I, I polish it up and I make it one PDF, I can upload it to Lulu.com. And then we can tell our readers it's there and it, it's, you know, print on demand. How about we publish a book? I was like, I'm in. Let's do it. So that the early incarnation of that was Batman Begins and the Comics was the name of it. Now it's called Improving the Foundations. Um, but yeah, we published a book. So then what do we do now? Let's, let's try to do more. And then once our, you know, loyal readers and some contributors found out about this, they're like, oh, and they started pitching us all sorts of books. Fast forward to New York Comic Con one year. I want to say, I don't know, 06. Um, found a guy who was like, oh, I want to do Grant Morrison. So all of a sudden we got this book called Grant Morrison in the early years. And we actually got Grant to say yes. Like I found a way to contact oh. his wife, Kristen. 
and um, we told her about the book. We showed some chapters, and she's like, oh, yeah, Grant's on board. So then, you know, the author is talking to Grant for an hour, and we transcribed it and put it in the back of the book. And so now we have an in with Grant. And then we next year for New York Comic Con, someone else comes up and says, oh, you got to meet this guy. I know he's doing this blog about the Invisibles. And so, and that's the best part about cons is it's just total, like, you know, you're immersed in all these potential uh, networking connections. And uh, the guy comes up to us and he shows, we read the blog and the blog's, you know, well-written and um, he's like, I want to do Invisible. Sure. Okay. And by the way, I just graduated uh, with a, a degree in film. I, uh, how about we film, how about we do the book and we interview Grant and we film it and we can like make a commercial on YouTube. Great. Cool. So we contact Grant and we tell him about this. And in the kind of like the negotiations of that, the guy who was doing the book said, you know, what if we just pitched him a whole documentary? Okay, let's try it. We pitched <laughs> <Why not? laughs> levels of possible. We said we could just do this like quick little thing on YouTube or we could do like maybe like a 30 minute thing about you or let's just do a feature. Which one is cool with you? And Grant and Kristen got back and said, Grant is up for the whole shebang. Let's make a movie. And it was just like nobody said no in those early years. And everyone was just totally uh, happy to say, yeah, I mean, someone wants to make a book or a movie about me. Let's do it. And it just kept snowballing down the hill. I mean, we used Grant Morrison to make the Warren Ellis movie. And then we had this other guy who's like, I want to do um, this whole I want to show a fair and balanced account of Friedrich Wortham and his quote unquote witch hunt on comics. And it just kept going. And. We only got a couple of no's and tons of yeses, and here we are almost 20 years later, and we got like, I don't know, 55 products. It's it's crazy. It's wild, man. It's so cool how that happens, and, you know, it just shows kind of the importance of cons yeah, as well, absolutely. and I just, I just can't wait to get back to cons. I know. I know. I mean, so much yeah. good comes out of it, and because yeah, a lot of those creators, when they walk out the doors and they're on the street, they're just... Yeah, typical pedestrian, but when they're in that room, yeah. they're celebrities. And to have someone say, I want to do something outside of comics with you, like to write this, you know, book about, you know, one of your most important works. They're like, yes, yes. And, 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 mm-hmm. and we networked that way. And a lot of people said yes. And, and I do miss it because it really, you know, we built up a lot of steam there and it's kind of all fizzled, fizzled with COVID. Yeah, man. Well, fingers crossed, maybe towards, the end of the year, we might we might see some cons. Um, I got my yeah. vaccine, my first dose of the vaccine yesterday, so I'm pumped. Oh wow, awesome man, that's great, yeah. um, fantastic. Um, do you, do you have your second second scheduled yet? Uh yeah, three weeks from now. Oh, brilliant, fantastic, good for you, man. Um, well, uh, yeah, hopefully we we continue on that path, and yeah, by the end of the year, potentially might have some small cons small events going on and then maybe next year we'll have kind of the full, fully full full blown cons back in back in action yeah let's contact some like you know some town that everyone can get to and just uh, ask the mayor if we can do an open air kind of set up a bunch of tables in a as well in an outfield somewhere you know exactly man exactly totally cool uh, now uh, all of that aside of course um you're you're now writing comics as well um and uh your your most recent kickstarter is just about to launch mm-hmm. uh the the um how do i pronounce it it's the telestation tessellation tessellation yeah, yes tell us about that yeah exactly yeah 
the tessellation. I mean, the idea of a tessellation is some pattern that's repeated into infinity, like a bunch of hexagons. Right. And then how, how does that reflect in the book? Uh, I think that, um, I guess, I don't know. I get the symbology of that is just that I, every reality is represented in this comic. Like uh, this sandbox is this sandbox is massive that I've created where it's, it's the multiverse. Any decision you could have possibly ever made happened um, left versus right chocolate versus vanilla, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> and they're all there and they're all happening through the thin veil or layer between realities. And I just kind of in my mind, thought of a tessellated the linoleum floor when i was a kid looking down at the linoleum of of the kitchen floor was a bunch of hexagons uh off into infinity to the sink you know and uh <laughs> i just i guess somehow i connected that these are all their own single corridors these uh, corridors of reality you're in this one particular hexagon but any decision you make you could You've got all these other realities that are just sitting on your shoulder right now, whether or not you say an inappropriate thing at an inappropriate time and you lose your job or you turn left instead of right and get into a car accident or, or not. I mean, all of it has happened. So all, I, I keep saying that, like, the tessellation is always on your shoulder. Like, you could just make one false move and now you're in this terrible reality where if you hadn't made that move you're living whatever life you thought you were currently living so it's all just tessellated out into infinity that's wild man um and for, for the folks at home um all of those links from the show notes to all of mike's work there and uh, where can people find you online on social media there mike on twitter i'm at mike makes comics fantastic nice and simple um go go follow mike check out his work whilst we're chatting um now um all of that aside um on top of what's been a very challenging year let's say um we've unfortunately just heard word that there's been a massive nuclear explosion um on on the east coast um, of uh, of America, I'm afraid, um, and uh, it's it's going to put the whole of the US into a massive nuclear fallout. Um, so my question for you is, what is your action plan for survival? Well, in researching issue two of the tessellation, actually, <laughs> this, is, this is the beauty of the tessellation is that every possible reality has happened. So in issue two, I I, I don't know your age, sir, but um, I was not quite old enough, but I've heard whispers of this thing back when I was about six years old. Um, it happened or didn't happen, actually, but I've heard whispers of it ever since. It was called the Abel Archer 83 um, uh, scenario, and I bet the movie War Games, the old Matthew Broderick movie, is kind of based on what almost happened. But there's apparently some Russian guy who just passed away who kind of saved the world where – they intercepted some data. The espionage people over in Russia intercepted some war games that the U.S. was playing. And the guy could not tell if the intercept was real or not because mm, right. the, inter- the information was apparently we had just launched a bunch of nukes that are headed for Russia or the USSR, I should say. And um, he had to make this decision. He literally had the ultimate fork in the road decision where he had to decide, do we retaliate 
or is this fake? And I better not pull this trigger because now I'm the one who's ruined the world. And this apparently really happened. So when I was researching this idea, I'm like, oh, I'm totally going to do this in the tessellation where in this one reality, he makes the wrong choice and he launches a counterattack to an attack that never actually happened. So I was doing research about nuclear fallout and where you need to be during the first hours of it. So I'm Mm. actually weirdly equipped to answer this. Um, (laughs) Awesome. So you got to, the first thing you want to do is stay put, you know, go into your basement, especially if like your foundation is like kind of concrete or cinder block or whatever, and mm-hmm. wait out. Um, try to stay there for as long as you can, but we're saying minimum like 48 to 72 hours. Cause apparently there's this wash of radiation, right? Mm-hmm. And you like a lot of people think I'm going to hop in my car and I'm going to drive as far away from the nuclear power plant or the the ground zero as possible, but that's the last thing you want to do because now you have no kind of fortification to absorb or block the fallout, right? Right. So I guess the first thing I do is just go to my basement uh, with a few beers and uh, just ride <laughs> it out. Um, and then after that, you know, try to find a place where that, that is not downwind of any potential extra fallout that might be blown into the atmosphere. Am I giving a way too scientific answer for this? Now I feel like I'm not like, at all. I love it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's actually very informative because if it ever does happen, because now, now we know that any type of apocalypse is, is possible, whether it be a pandemic or, or a nuclear oh, explosion, yeah, then we know what to do. <laughs> so anyway, I guess you hop in your car and you head in where I live in New Jersey. This is the wor- annoying thing about living on the East Coast is that all of the gross plumes of exhaust that come out of all the factories that are mm. in North America, they all get blown eastward. You know, so every factory potentially, you know, in my latitude um, is possibly going up into the air and then weather just blows it all towards Philadelphia, which is kind of right where I'm outside of. So I guess the next thing I do is I'd hop in my car and I'd head south towards the Delaware Memorial Bridge and go into Delaware and just kind of get if assuming Philly got blown up in this nuclear fallout. So I'm getting south and then I'm going to go maybe like southwest and then eventually west just to get on the other side of all that nuclear wind. Nice, man. So a bit of a road trip. A road trip. Bring the beers with you. Road soda. <laughs> Woo, there you go. Nuclear road trip. That sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, escape a nuclear explosion and then, you know, your road soda gets you in trouble. Exactly, exactly. Excellent. And is anybody joining you in the car? Um, I guess I got to bring my family. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't bring the beers with me. But yeah, I guess I'll bring my wife and two sons. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Excellent. So you're heading heading west. um, And uh, the, the subject of comics comes up in the car just to pass the time. Because there's no radio stations um, or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of uh, a little bit boring um, in the car, nothing to do. So, yeah, the, the subject of comics comes up and uh, your, your family asks you, what's the first comic you remember enjoying? Well, if you know my wife, this is totally this is even less likely than nuclear fallout for her to ask me this question. But uh, I'll, I'll play along. I would say uh, Chris <laughs> Claremont and Jim Lee's X-Men number one. Um there was this kind of buzz around it when I was a kid. I want to say, oh man, 91, I was 13, maybe going on 14. 
uh, late bloomer with comics, I guess. Um, and I'd always been intrigued by comics, but I didn't really know a good entry point. And uh, some friends were riding bikes to the next town to go to the baseball cards and comics shop. And I tagged along because, you know, this could be my moment because when they mentioned the particular store, I'm like, oh, yeah, they sell comics, too. I had a reason to go. I wasn't really big into football and basketball cards at the time. So I get in there and there's a display of the different kinds of uh, covers of X-Men number one. And it totally threw me off because I was like, I thought X-Men had been around for like years. Why is there a number one? Um, but obviously now I know it was the, the, the second title. Um, so I picked it up and flipped through it. Uh, didn't really know what was going on, but, uh, I remember seeing Wolverine. He was, I think he was like walking through some tunnel. I think this was part of like a, a, a danger room kind of game. But at the time I'm like, wait, he's hunting professor X. I, I could be happy. I haven't read the story in a long time, but I, I could have sworn <laughs> there was something like that going on where Wolverine's in a tunnel and he's got the claws and I'm like, Ooh, this guy's definitely cool. Um, and then eventually, you know, I just fell in love with the story and the art. Jim Lee is mind blowing. And, uh, Claremont obviously has it. We, we, later on, we made a movie and a book about the guy. So he's obviously got the talent. Uh, I love the <laughs> idea of the blue and gold teams. Uh, I'm definitely a sucker for collecting stuff in general. So, uh, like old school TSR novels, like Dungeons and Dragons, Dragon Lance, Forgotten Realms. So I was definitely primed to be someone who would, Decide. Oh, there's a bunch of X titles, X Force, X Factor. Like that was all starting to bubble up, and I was like, "Oh, I can buy all these." I love the idea of the X family. So that was kind of my foray, my first foray into comics. Nice. And and from that, did you did you ever have a have a flutter in creating your own comics as a as a kid? No, not really. I definitely always wanted. I fancied the idea of being a writer. But my main bread and butter was novels like Dragonlance and Forgotten Realms and all the ones they made like Dark Sun and Spelljammer and Ravenloft. So I thought I never even thought about making a comic because I didn't have any drawing skills. So I figured, well, that, no, that's not going to happen. But at the same time, I was I was very, you know, it was uh, daunting to think about writing a novel like it just to this day, it yeah. blows my mind that people have the capacity to write prose and keep the whole thing together and you know the plot and the setting and the 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 building to a climax and a crescendo and the denouement like just pulling all of it together still seems massively difficult to me i'm not belittling creating a comic (laughs) i'm not saying it's easier Mm. to do because i'm learning right now it's very difficult um but yeah so no not making comics no but i definitely thought i could be a writer one day fantastic and you're certainly doing that um yeah. now um going going back to the car the next question that crops up is what's the funniest comic that you've read i don't remember many funny comics when i was like first starting out and then when i got back into comics like when i had some disposable income again after college um hmm. i was doing like cross gen and Marvel, and back in the day, it was Valiant and Image, and I didn't really gravitate or even know that there were many comedy books. I, mean, I remember like Beavis and Butthead was a thing, uh, <laughs> and Ren and Stimpy. Marvel did those, but only recently did I like get into a comic that actually cracked me up, and it was the Adventure Time series. I think that's Kaboom. The, the yeah, yeah, I think it's with Boom Studios even. 
Yeah, it's Boom's like uh, like a younger branch uh, imprint. Company. Ah, right, is it? Okay. And I think so, at least on this yeah. side of the pond. Um, but yeah, I mean, my sons and I fell in love with Adventure Time last summer. We got the HBO Max had just launched. And um, so they were gobbling it up. I mean, we binged that thing, like insanely binged that thing. It became just like, at some points I was out of the room or I was just waking up. It was summertime. We all have off because I'm a teacher and my wife's a teacher. And I would just come down and they've already watched like two hours of it <laughs> from like 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. So like we, we just became obsessed and I'm always trying to get them to read. So once I found out that there were these Kaboom trade paperbacks, I mean, I just gobbled them all up. And so, of course, they're reading them. I'm looking at them because I love Jake. Jake can do no wrong for me. Whenever Jake turns himself into something that in itself is I, if I were ever going to write an article for Sequard about comics, I would definitely just go into the many phases of Jake and what he can do with his body. I just, <laughs> that guy can do whatever he does with his body just cracks me up in general, not to mention he's just funny as hell. Uh, so, um, and of course the ice King is funny too. So like that's probably made me laugh out loud more than any comic ever. That's awesome, man. It's it's something that I've been meaning to get into. I've um I had rave reviews from friends about the cartoon, of course, and and yeah, the 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 comic sounds even even more fun in some respects. Um, and uh, no, yeah, no, that's fantastic. And just just uh, to clarify that point, so it's Titan that actually um, publishes it in the UK, and of course, yeah, as you say, boom, so kaboom. In, yeah, if you've never States. watched the the cartoon, um, I, I I can't recommend it enough. Especially if you like fantasy or Dungeons and Dragons, um, there's just so many kind of in jokes about that alone. Um, and it's just eventually at the end, my kid, my older son Ryan, he he's fascinated by the fact that stuff can make him emotional. Um, sure. So at the end of Avengers Endgame. For a while, when I would mention, let's go back through the Marvel movies again, he's like, I don't know. Because at the end of Avengers Endgame, some really emotional stuff happens, and he didn't know how to handle it. And the same thing kind of happens at at the end of Adventure Time, where it's like a really poignant, beautiful finale. And and he's just kind of fascinated by music giving you goosebumps, or a, a, a denouement, or like a climax into a denouement giving you goosebumps, or making you tear up. So it was beautiful to watch it as a parent, seeing how that all tied up at the end of Adventure Time. So anyway, there's a lot, there's something for everybody in that show, if you love comedy in general. That's fantastic. And now, uh, switching emotional gears, uh, what's the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read? All right. Um <laughs> Uh, this might be a weird choice, but mm-hmm. Black Hole by Charles Burns. Um, it's not even so much the story, but you could not even know English mm. and um, read this thing, <laughs> look at this thing, and feel the um, possible alienation that Charles Burns went through as a younger man. Um, now, I say possible because maybe he's just a good um, observer. And maybe he's observed family members go through otherness or feeling like alien to 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 the to the masses. But mm-hmm. when I look through this book, I can just flip through it at any point and feel like um, that I can relate to 
feeling like an outsider, feeling like a weirdo. Um, sometimes my heart hurts for high school version of me. Sometimes my heart hurts for young Charles Burns mm-hmm. or just I'm a teacher. So I teach kids who are right in the middle of all that in, in, in seventh grade. These are like 13 year old kids. There's probably no time more than you feel different than everybody else and not necessarily in a good way. I mean, if you feel different than everybody else in a great way, awesome. You feel unique Mm -hmm. in this world and you you're, you're leaning into that and owning it. It's great. But when I look at this, I feel how I felt in high school or how he might've felt in high school or how any of my students in junior high school now are just like looking out at the world going, man, I'm a freak. Mm -hmm. And, and we've all been there. I mean, if you haven't been there, well, lucky you. Because you are in the minority on that one, my friend, Uh, you know, but it's just sad. And and not again, there's great parts of that book that are funny and weird and awesome and and dark and light. But there's an overall vibe when I just look at it on the shelf where I just know that if I want to lean into sadness or even just kind of enjoy, because, you know, sometimes you like to watch a sad movie or listen to a sad song. Nothing wrong with that. That just it's actually healthy. So when I flip through it, I'm just like, oh man, I get those shivers of like, not only is this book like make me feel that, but like the genius of the art, the genius on how he created those characters. It's just, it's a mind boggling piece of art. It could be one of the best things that's ever been created in comics, period. That's awesome, man. Um, And kind of going down a a similar vein, uh, what's the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read? I can't remember too many that actually have scared me. Uh, Definitely nothing from my youth when I was reading like Nightfall. I mean, Bane broke Batman's back. I mean, I guess that was that was a little scary. Um, You know, being like a what a thirteen or twelve or thirteen year old and someone actually Mm -hmm. broke the Unbreakable Man. You know, or or even Superman dying to Doomsday. You know, that was like wow, they really went there. but, you know, later on when I started getting uh, introduced into Vertigo, I mean, I guess part of Vertigo is I mean, they embraced horror. And I guess there's some creepy stuff in there. <laughs> but nothing actually made me feel scared until I got to Preacher. Um, and I know, like, the flashback stuff. I-, I can't remember exactly what issue. I want to say, like, eight or nine. Somewhere, somewhere, like, in the second arc where you get introduced to that guy Jody and, like, the torture that he did uh to young jesse custer definitely was scary it made me angry you know it's like when you see a a good acting performance and you hate that person even though you it's hard to separate and you realize oh that's an actual actor who just did a good job you know like (laughs) uh garth ennis definitely made jody into a you know a mean dude and he did a great job because i was afraid of him for jesse and uh i hated him so that's about as close as i can come to that that's awesome. And it's so good when you do get that feeling of that you actually hate that character. Um, right. And you know that it's fictitious, but right. it's like, I've I've got actual feelings against yeah. this person. <laughs> oh, man. To be a writer, I'm sure if Garth ever possibly hears this, I'm sure he gets it all the time. Uh, but yeah, like you actually were able to get a person to hate or love or mm-hmm. lust after or just whatever about a, just a figment of your imagination. That's got to feel powerful. 100% man. That's wicked. Um, now uh, moving on to my favorite question and that is what's your favorite cover. Okay. 
Um, this uh, this one actually is not does not have a whole lot of bells and whistles. Um, this is very actually pretty tame as far as visuals. It's a uh, Rye Zero from Valiant, um, and I'm sure there's some people out there who might say it's Ray. I don't even know. Uh, I've never really tried to figure it out, but I say Rye. Um, Rye Zero uh, by Dave Lapham. I don't even know if I'm saying Lapham right. Anyway, um, <laughs> Lapham. <laughs> I'll say Maybe Lapham. who knows. <laughs> it's a relatively simple cover. I think it's like three colors. Yeah, sure. Yep. Uh, and it's a silhouette. But mm-hmm. um, I was such a big. I grew up in the glut. When you hear the word hashtag glut referring to comics, you know exactly the era. This is the early '90s when there was a whole speculator thing going on and like every company was trying to, you know, give Marvel uh, DC a run for their money. And um, Valiant and image did that. They really did. I think at one point there was a couple of months where DC had nothing in the top 10. It was wow. like a couple of Marvels, but it was like image and Valiant. And it was like, it was insane. It was the new wild West. And I fell right into Valiant an image because there were just number ones everywhere and not because I was a speculator. I believe me, I'm terrible at the stock market. Um, <laughs> but just being able to get on the ground floor of a new world was mm. instead of issue 298, you know, it was issue one and Valiant had a million number ones and some of them were hard to get. Um, at that point I was not going to be able to afford solar number one or zero or whatever it was and Magnus number one or two, or maybe it was number four. One of them was like 50 bucks, you know, so you had to really pick your battles, um, with your allowance. And I just remember Rye zero was the ultimate. Now I lusted after this one. I would stare at the image. This one might've, I don't know. I could be talking out of my butt, but this one could have been 70 bucks. I just know that this was the one. Now, it was rare, but I put a little asterisk next to rare because it turns out later, apparently, according to legend, that there were comic book store owners who were hiding copies of this to like build up the price or whatever. I don't know. I don't know how much of that's true. Uh, I could have just made that all up in my mind. But this one was hard to get. But I needed to know what was in between those covers. So even though the cover in itself isn't dazzling, it's still beautiful. It's a really cool yeah, cover. It was kind of like the fascination, which was what was inside there. And I heard there were stories that Valiant has these timestamps where everything is stamped with a, a day, a month, and a year, which I loved. It's like everything is set in stone. And then they went into the future in Rise Zero. I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting glimpses of the Valiant universe future. But in between the 90s and the year 4000, where, you know, Magnus and Rye and the future force and eventually what? I don't even remember what that one, uh, where the uh, Harbingers come back from uh, deep space. What's that called? Anyway, the point is, it was just a holy grail kind of like, I need this. I stared at that image so many times in Wizard Magazine or Hero Magazine or whatever. So in a weird way, when you ask this question, that's the first thing. It's the most iconic cover in my brain. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's fantastic to have that connection as well. And kind of those, those memories of that time. Um, oh yeah, yeah. powerful um, nostalgia. Even to this day, I have a trade paperback of the first four issues of Rye or five, and just to stare at it now brings me right back to like all those feelings of collecting and the camaraderie of my comics friends and stuff. It was awesome. 
Yeah, man. I love that. And that, and that's one of the powerful things about a cover um, is that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to kind of be, I don't know, the most intricate or anything like that. But if it's striking and it strikes a chord with, with you and your memories, um, then that's what makes it special, I think. Um, and uh, obviously this one stands out for you. Um, and that that's fantastic, man. That's really cool. Yeah, big shout like out it. to Old School Valiant for sure. That was that yeah. was something special. Awesome, man. Uh, now, uh, moving on to another one of my favorite questions, and that's what's the most meaningful comic to you? This one's easy. Uh, anytime someone asks me, like, what is, what is it for you? Like, which one really kind of, like, did a lot to you? Uh, mentally uh, how, what's the one that really means something and I don't know why I just have always gravit my answer always has to gravitate to Paul Chadwick's concrete um, you you when you first get into comics it's usually colorful there's usually capes involved hmm. I mean, nine times out of ten 99 times out of a hundred your first comic has got to have a superhero in it most likely so this was almost the exact opposite of that. When I first was introduced to this, I kind of didn't really dive in. Um, it was more of a curio kind of deal. I was like DC and, Dar- and Legend, the Legends imprint, uh, Vertigo and Legends, they had kind of been happening. And I, you know, you see the ads for them, you know, for a more sophisticated thing, try this. But and as a guy, he's made of. He looks like he's made of concrete. He looks like a ripoff of the thing. So at first, you're you're able to kind of go, oh, I've been there, done that. Um, but then you hear about that Bill Murray is going to be the voice of concrete. Like that was in development hell. I don't even. Again, it's a. I might have made that up, but because when I read that at one point, that the guy from Groundhog Day is going to be concrete, and so that was my initial that concrete getting on my radar. But and I maybe had seen a couple issues of Dark Horse Presents, but you know later on when I met my buddy Julian, who we made all this Sequart stuff with um, in our our new comics, I kind of saw what he was reading and that kind of like it affected me. And he's like, definitely you got to go down this rabbit hole and that and try this, try that, try the Watchmen, or, or Sandman or whatever. And Concrete, he was talking about Paul Chadwick. He's like, oh, Paul Chadwick's a genius. I'm like, okay, okay, you know. And finally, when Dark Horse published those, those kind of short, I don't mean short, I just mean like height wise, short in stature, um, trade paperbacks um, of the entire run of concrete, I was like, okay, I'm going to finally see what this is all about. And it blew my mind because it is the opposite in many ways of a superhero comic because Aside from people like Grant Morrison who take superheroes and, and and Alan Moore who they like kind of subvert them and stuff, this was like the opposite of that. It wasn't bombastic, it wasn't in color, um, and there it wasn't just surface. It, it was the exact opposite. You're going so deep into a person's psyche, Paul Chadwick, you know, via the concrete character. You're just learning about what he feels about life. And this is another character who's now been other, you know, some of the best characters are other and you're seeing life through the eyes of the ultimate other. I am like no other species on the planet. I'm like no other thing on the planet. Um, and just, I, I, I incorrectly, but kind of correctly started to label this as the Seinfeld of comics in the sense that it's about nothing. 
it feels like it's about nothing because it's not mm-hmm. colorful. It's not about superheroes. It's about the mundane, which was kind of Seinfeld's joke for a while, or, or George Costanza's pitch to the <laughs> NBC bigwigs. It's about nothing. And that's the beauty of it is because we all live nothing every day. And you just kind of go down these paths with this adventurer, but he's an adventurer of the social experiment. He's the adventure of like just mundane life. And you're seeing him get into these situations where he really has no nerve ending. So it's all mental. He's like so conscious of his consciousness. That's all he's got. And it's just, it's such a beautiful mind blowing comic in that way. Uh, I couldn't get over how simple ideas could be mined in such powerful ways. Like the mundane became the main character and that changed me forever. Yeah, it's powerful, man. And how old were you, if you don't mind me asking, when you when you read this for the first time? I, I think I got them not too long after they started coming out in that trade paperback form. So almost 20 years ago. So I was, uh, was it from 43 now, 25, 26? Yeah, right so I was definitely primed for that. Yeah, definitely. And, and like at that kind of age, you really kind of go through a bit of a transition, don't you, from being oh, yeah. a young man into <clears throat> starting to become kind of maybe um, not middle-aged, of course, but um, I don't know, just m- more mature, just I more of a mature luster, man. Yeah, the luster of your invincibility years is starting to wane, you yeah. know? If college or university is your, I'm never going to die. I mean, like now you're in the workforce. I've been mm-hmm. working as a teacher for a few years at that point. Right. And you're fallible and you're invincible. And you see this guy who <laughs> he's tapping <laughs> into all these feelings that you know are in you, but you don't want to address yet because you're still invincible. Right. And the irony is that he is invincible <laughs> except for drowning, <laughs> I think, uh, or something there. Ugh, was it drowning? There was one thing that really he could die of. And I can't remember what that was now, but it might've been drowning. It's been too that long. That sounds ago. right. I can't that remember. Right. Either way. I think I just blew my whole answer with that one, but yeah. Uh, yeah. You're starting to the luster of invincibility is wearing off. And like, I was just kind of, that caught me like, okay, this is a book for people who are ready to accept the next phase of life, which is your humanity. Yeah. No, that's beautiful, man. That's awesome. And again, it's just great that, you know, a book or a fictitious story can help you realize that. Um, and it's just, it's just so powerful when you come to a realization of that whilst reading something like that. Yeah. And, and, and this is the beauty of comics because there's no way, I mean, yeah, I guess prose can do that too, but and might, some people might say prose has it better because it makes you think harder or visualize more, but just to, mm. the, the, the compliment of the ideas. Plus he, there was yeah. this one, I think it's book three. I have it right over here. It's the one where he, um, he becomes like a, I don't even know if it's a stunt coordinator, but he's helping with the stunts of a movie of a Hollywood movie production. Right. And like, if you flip through this thing, it's called fragile creature. If you like, there's a Dali painting at one point, you know, like he looks like he's tried to make a Salvador Dali painting. Like he is throwing the kitchen sink at, at this one. There's script pages of this fake movie. I mean, there's like, you can't do that with a book. You can't see inside someone's mind. And there's, he's doing Conan, like poses with a sword, like, oh man, it's mine. I highly recommended Fragile Creature Book Three. 
in the uh, Dark Horse trade paperback series. That's awesome, man. That's, uh, that's going right on my read list for sure. Please do. Awesome. Uh, now, um, talking of read lists, um, what's the most underrated comic that people should read? All right, this is definitely going to sound like, you know, uh, uh, some sort of like nepotism, um, but I'm going to definitely shout out my 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 brother from another mother, Julian Darius. He um, He's publishing his own comics world on pretty much his own dime. I mean, obviously, there's a little bit of help from Kickstarter, but I mean, you only have 100 followers. You're, you're not going to really be making a lot of scratch, but mm-hmm. he's created this Martian invasion um story basically he's trying to create uh just martian history uh who's the guy michener who used to write those books where you would just pick a place like hawaii and then write the entire history of that island you ever heard james i think it's james michener does that ring a bell mm-hmm. no what, sorry okay with what's um alan moore's jerusalem i think kind of does this it picks right okay yeah birmingham is it i can't remember he's he's northampton Northampton. So, yeah. Um, like, I, I have never read the book, but apparently it's like a lot to do with like the entire history of Northampton, right? Like, yeah. from a thousand years ago until I don't know when. But like, there's this guy, James Michener, who I think would just pick a place and then just make this fictitious story up about hundreds of years about that place, wow. right? Um, again, I could be talking out of my butt, but I think that's kind of what James Michener's kind of like gimmick was. Um, that's probably a rude word to say gimmick, but that was his thing. And (laughs) he was known for that. But anyway, Julian is kind of trying to pull that off with Mars and tell like this multi series interconnected shared universe about the history of Mars. And they've been cloaking from us from, for 10,000 years. And the main thrust, the main like tent pole series is called Martian comics. And, uh, from there, he's spun off one where there's, um, I guess, like a servant droid named Kimot Ren who crash lands in the old west of Earth. And now he's just got to be this other kind of like a concrete kind of character, like living in the old west. Um, and they're trying to hide him. The people who found him are these carnival freaks who are trying to hide him and pass him off as like a cheesy, like steampunk steam engine invention, even though he is the most high tech creation that humans have ever discovered in the old West and just trying to survive in this new environment. Cause he can't get back to Mars cause his masters crash landed and died. So he's hiding the bodies, you know, in the mountain somewhere and trying to just get along in this planet. You know, that's just one spinoff. Another spinoff is the one I wanted to talk about with you. It's called the synthetics. And it's basically just the history of AI in the Martian universe and um, it takes place in the larger Martian comics, but it's just a, it's a nice where he started to branch off in all these directions. And in this particular series, it focuses on different kind of AI robot species who have different purposes, like prostitute robots and uh, servant robots, which I guess prostitute robot would be in a certain way. Uh, <laughs> one issue deals with robot gladiators who fall in love. And now you're deciding, are they gay? Because like, when I started reading it, I thought they were both kind of male and macho and they're in this gladiator arena and they're just kind of like WWE. They, they get their number gets called and they go try to kill the other robot. And as I'm reading this, my own expectations were subverted because they both seemed masculine. 
And then towards the end of the story, they're falling in love. So now I'm questioning, are they, is there a gender? Are they gay robot? I mean, like it really kind of mm. subverts your expectations. And that was the first issue, <laughs> you know, where robots are falling <laughs> in love at making love, you know? And, um, and there's this other one where this, um, like sex worker robot is, you know, pleasing the Martians. The male Martians are uh, red and the female Martians are blue. And, and she kind of works to service, like, I guess the red Martians. And then this robot revolution happens in the middle of the issue where the robots have decided they've had enough. And like, she's living in the middle of this revolution. And how does she react? How should she react? Because she's been a servant her whole life. Uh, her whole existence, I should say. And now everyone or all the robots around her are killing their masters. And she's trying to decide like, is this against protocol? Are there any masters out there who want me to harm them kind of in a sadomasochistic way? So it's like, it takes all of these cool ideas of sci-fi and it just keeps subverting them. There's the newest issue is a robot trying to come to grips with their organic client's request for an assisted suicide. Like it, it's just completely vertigo mixed with AI. It's just, it's awesome. That sounds rad, man. Um, Yeah, no, definitely you have to check that out and uh, add to their followers. Um, That sounds fantastic. Yeah. It's called the synthetics, but it's part of Julian Darius's greater Martian comics universe. He's already done like 32 issues, like mostly on his own dime. I don't want to see this guy's credit card bill. No, yeah, that that sounds like it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty bad. Um, but I know you're all power to him for for creating uh, a universe yeah. and and sticking Absolutely. with it. That's awesome. If you go back to our documentary, um, the Image Revolution, uh, Todd McFarlane says mm. the entrepreneur doesn't peek over the cliff and get timid. The entrepreneur just jumps over the cliff. Yeah, just keeps going, hundred <laughs> percent. No, and they, you know, Todd McFarlane. I mean, wow. He's uh, what what an entrepreneur he is! <laughs> oh my god, that guy just keeps doing it for the fun of it. He doesn't need another dime. Nah, no, at all. Um, it's uh, it's incredible. Um, he jumped to, off the to, Yeah, and he kept going. He jumped off the next yeah. one. It's a, it's a bottomless pit. <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? Um, but uh, yeah, um, that's a, that's a fantastic recommendation. Now, uh, for you, uh, moving on to the most difficult question: What is the best comic of all time? The answer is yes. <laughs> and no. Um, this is so hard. But what I came up with was the Sandman. Um, only because in the same way that the White Album is the best Beatles album. Right. Um, it's just there's something for every occasion. Uh, he did it right. Neil did it right. Like almost like literally the first time. You know, it's like it's probably why he doesn't do comics anymore. You know, it's like. <laughs> If you did it right the first time, you don't need to do it again. Um, he's dabbled. He's dipped his toe back in. But most of the stuff he's dipped his toe back in was Sandman, <laughs> you know, when he did the uh, the, uh, the, the the prequel. Um, I guess he is doing some Miracle Man stuff still, which is great to hear. And I think it's eventually going to see the light of day. But, yeah, uh, it's Sandman. It's got to be. it. Um, it's like a buffet. Like some people rail on, uh, on the white album because, you know, and even uh, George Martin said he wishes it was a single album, you right. know, take away all the fluff, you know, trim the fat and it could be the best album ever. But, you know, even the quote unquote throwaway songs, like I'll never fast forward through, um, like, uh, 
wild honey pie. It's weird and wacky and dumb and awesome. You know, why don't we do it in the road? And I'm not comparing those songs. I'm not saying that there's certain issues of the Sandman that are a throwaway. I'm just saying that it, for the White Album, it's a buffet. There's there you, you can have, you know, anything from the buffet and you're going to have every genre. You're going to have any kind of character. It was a, such a sandbox that he created for himself and he could have kept going on with it. But I mean, eventually maybe he would have created issues that would have felt thrown away or throw away. Yeah. But in the end, that is that is the best comic series of all time. Um, and there's nothing else I can say that hasn't been said a million times before other than that it's mandatory reading, um, not even for comics fans, for anybody who likes literature, period. Yeah. It is literature. It's beyond literature. It's a level up above literature. It's like literature, three-dimensional chess literature. Um, every issue, every page is to be savored for sure. And if you have to pry a specific issue out of me, I'm just going to say issue 50, Ramadan. It's like I got that for Christmas. Like my family, they thought, oh, this is Mike. He likes comics. So my brother went to the store and he goes, I don't even know really what he likes. So the clerk just said, well, you know, how old is he? And my brother said my age. And he goes, oh. And I think the clerk was really forcing it a little bit, but I'm so glad he did. You know, he's like probably the kind of uh, comics fan who goes, oh, well, you know, I mean, he's probably read a million Superman stories. Why not try this? And it was the right price, too. It wasn't just like a three buck comic. It was a Christmas present. So my brother's like, OK, 30 bucks. Sure. OK. So I open up Ramadan for Christmas and I looked at my brother. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> He got me Sandman and issue 50, like everything about that issue, just not even the fact that it was a gift, but like talk about an issue that needs to be savored like a fine wine. I mean, and you sip that thing panel by panel. It's just, it's perfect. That's awesome, man. And this, this almost seems trivial now, but if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? You nailed it. That's it. I'm taking the White Album, man, you know, because there's going to be some times where I'm on the beach and I'm in a good mood and I don't care if anybody finds me. There's going to be an issue for that. You know, there's going to be a song for that. And there's going to be times when I'm manic and freaking out and I just drank the last coconut. You know, I need a different kind of vibe. And the Sandman just has it all, you know, just like the White Album. Nice, man. And then along with uh, the, the complete works of the Sandman, uh, what weapon, tool, or useful item would you like to take with you as well? Uh, I mean, I, I, there was this ad I saw on Facebook last summer, um, and it's like a Swiss Army knife, but it's in the shape of a credit card. <laughs> so I might be <laughs> totally cheating, but it's like all of these different items built into a metal slate kind of like credit card shape where you can open a bottle or you can cut something or you can part of it's a screwdriver you know i guess that's cheating but screw it it's in my wallet right now anyway so i'm going to use it nice man no that's smart that's smart a swiss army card i guess swiss Swiss army card i guess and you can kind of yeah you can have it in your pocket and just have it anywhere ready to rock yeah Nice, man. Uh, well, Mike Phillips, thank you so much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse. It's, it's really been a pleasure. And so thank you so much for having me and letting me just spout off about my favorite things or my like saddest things and scariest things. 
<laughs> oh, I love it, man. Um, it's it's great to hear hear people's passion about about uh, the world of comics, and um, it's it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. And for the folks, one more time, uh, where can they uh, find you online? Online on Twitter, it's at Mike Makes Comics. I, Facebook, I think it's like facebook.com slash the real Mike Phillips when everybody was putting the real because already someone already had Mike Phillips. So I'm the real Mike Phillips on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, the only one and only. Um, our nonfiction comic stuff is Sequart. That's S E Q U A R T dot org. If you want to check out any of our movies or documentaries about the awesomeness of comics. And Martian Lit is publishing my uh, comic that takes place in hell called Necropolitan and my new comic, The Tessellation, martianlit.com. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Mike, um, for, for your time today and uh, for just sharing your passion. It's, it's, it's infectious. So I really, really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully one day our paths may cross at a comic con. Yeah, and you probably should just stay in America with me because the bombs will drop at some point and you know that I know where to go and where to hide. Exactly, man. Bring gear along and then just ride it out. Totally. Um, My life is in your hands. (laughs) You're screwed. (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, thanks again, Mike. Um, It's been a real pleasure and uh, I, uh, I guess I'll see you on Twitter. Okay, Sam. Take care, man. All right, bye-bye. Bye for now. Thanks again to Mike for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Mike's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene's website at comicscene.org for comic news, the comic club, and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now. <laughs>